All right, God, we come before you so thankful, God, and so excited, God, to be here. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. God, you're awesome. You're faithful. And God, you love us, even though we're unlovable. God, you care about us when we neglect you. Lord, I just pray that tonight, as your word goes forth, that it wouldn't be me speaking, but God, it would be from you, God. As we as we as we open up the Bible and as we read the the things that you wrote to us, God, I pray that it wouldn't be something that I interpret or anything like that, but that your words would come forth and that you would speak. And we just thank you for the opportunity to hear. Lord, we know that you know us. You know everything about us. Lord, you know when we stand. We, you know when we rise up. You know when we walk. You know when we lay down. God, and we thank you that you know us so much, and yet you still love us. And we, we pray that, God, tonight we would get to know you a little bit better and closer, that you would be more uncovered to us, God, that there would be a revelation of who you are. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and repeat after me. Lord, speak to me tonight. It's okay if you talk to the person next to me. But I have to hear something from you. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. Like I said, I'm excited to be here tonight. Uh, And the title of tonight's message is going to be Long Lost Love. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write that down. I want to remind you that we are in the really the beginning of a, um, of a series that we're going to be talking about, the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, last week we talked about how important it is that we have an uncovering of Jesus Christ, that we have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And the entire point for this series, the entire point of Revelation, as we had in that trivia question, the entire point is, is summed up in the very first verse of Revelation, and it says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The uncovering of Jesus Christ. Every message in this series is designed so much so that when we're done, we know Jesus more. That he is more uncovered in our lives so that we can see him better, so that we can totally understand who God is and we can, we can get to know him just a little bit better. Because as we can see in American church and the American culture that there, there's so many misrepresentations of who Jesus is. And that thing that Danny did to open up the service was stinking awesome and went totally with what this series is all about. And then Audrey was talking about how we don't understand who God is. There's misconceptions and misunderstandings about who God is throughout our nation, throughout our world, and and definitely inside of the church, there's misunderstandings of who God is. And I want to share something with you in this next series as we go through this. The whole point is so that we can uncover Jesus. Amen? And we talked about this last week, but I'm going to give us a short review. I'll probably do this for every single service. Um, so God is revealing himself. Yeah. God is revealing himself to, number one, individuals. God is desiring that we as individuals would come to an understanding of who he is. Amen. He desires to, to reveal himself to individuals. We read last week, and this is last week's message, so I'm not going to go into it too depth. But we read last week about how John, when he first started getting this message of revelation, when he first started getting the idea to write this letter, it says that he looked up and he saw someone that looked like the Son of Man. And I think because John didn't really understand what Jesus was supposed to look like, although he had known him, he didn't really understand what Jesus was supposed to look like. And so when he says he looked like the Son of Man, all of a sudden God said, hey, I've got to give him a revelation of who I am. Because before he can write these letters to these churches, and before I can reveal myself to the world, I've got to reveal myself to the person who's going to be bringing the message. I mean, every time I study for a sermon or a message, it's almost like God 
deals with me before he can deal with everybody else. Because if I'm going to bring the word of God to you, then God's going to have to have dealt with that in my life as well. And so God, it says that, he, he, that he, he saw someone like the Son of Man, and then it goes through and gives this description of what Jesus was. His, his hair was white as snow. He had, he had a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, right? And it went through and it gave this description of who Jesus was. Why? Because John needed an individual revelation of who Jesus was. And once John got this individual revelation, all of a sudden now John can carry of a revelation to the church because God is desiring to reveal himself to the church. Amen? When God is desiring to reveal himself to individuals, he's desiring to reveal himself to the church. And we talked about this last week, that the church is not just crossfire. Crossfire is a part of the church. The church, we're going to read through seven different churches. Can I tell you that each of those churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, and all these things, all of those churches are not the church in and of itself. They are part of the church. And God is desiring to reveal himself to his church. And I believe specifically to the church in America. See, we, we, we have this, mis- this misunderstanding that we are the church. And I want to say something. We are the church. As a group, we are part of the church. But individuals are not the church. God resides in you. He, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but understand that you are not the church. You cannot have victory on your own. It's going to take a body. It's going to take people fighting with you. Amen? And God said that the church is something that the gates of hell will not be able to overcome. And the, the gates of hell will overcome individuals, but the gates of hell will not overcome the church. Amen? Amen? So God is he, he, he's talking. He wants to reveal himself to individuals. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to me. Then he wants to reveal himself to the church and not just to Crossfire, not just to to Eugene, not just to this area, not just to the American church. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to be uncovered in front of the entire church, the entire church that he's building and he's making. So he wants to reveal himself to individuals and to the church. And then lastly, what happens is he wants to reveal himself to the world. Amen. See, we saw this process, and this is actually the outline of Revelation. The first chapter is all about John's revelation. The second and third chapter are all about the church. And then the, then the fourth chapter to the end of Revelation is all about God uncovering himself to the world. And God is going to uncover himself in the end times. The entire world will, the, uh, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And my question and my challenge to you guys is this. Is this process is going to happen whether or not you're involved in it or not? It's going to happen. It, you, it, it's going to start with individuals. It's going to continue to the church. And eventually the entire world, is, they're going to be uncovered and they're going to see who Jesus is. Whether or not you like it, whether or not you feel like that's right or fair, it doesn't matter. That's what's going to happen. And my question is to you for your world, for your friends, for your family, do you want them to have to bow or do you want to yourself individually receive revelation and share that to the world? Because the world is, it's going to be uncovered one way or another. But I hope that the people that I know, that the people that I come in contact with, that those aren't people that are going to find out about God in the end and see what God's like in the end. I hope that my life here on this earth shows who God is. That not just because I preach messages and because people might listen to me online or something like that, that that's how they know that I love Jesus. No, I hope that the people at the gas station know that I love Jesus. I hope that the people at the gas station don't, when, when it's all said and done, and, and God comes and he reveals himself to the world. I hope that the people at the gas station don't go, what I never knew about you, Jesus, because I hope that my light is shining. Amen? Why? Because the, 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 the question that I had Danny ask uh, was kind of a trick question. In the fact that the Bible says that the seven stars represent the angels 
But if you look at the Greek, that word angels is actually messengers. How many of you guys were here last week to hear that? That we are the, sh- the stars shining in the world for them to see. That we are the light. Amen? Praise God. So now we're going to get into Revelation chapter 2. That's kind of just a review of the first chapter. And so now we're going to get into Revelation chapter 2 and starting in verse 1. Amen. If you got your Bibles, flip there and be ready. To the angel, right? Same word used in the last chapter. Angel is not talking about my personal belief, and this can be debated. I'll just be honest with you. But my personal belief is that it's not talking about angels, winged creatures, scary things that Everybody says, oh, you know, and they always have to say, fear not. First thing they always say when they come to earth is, fear not. I don't think it's talking about both. Matter of fact, the Bible uses the same word that it uses here for angels. It uses that same word many times as messengers, as John sent messengers to Jesus. And, and, and I believe this, that what this is talking about is the messengers that God has placed in his church. It's interesting that, that none, of these, none of these letters are addressed to a church. You'll see it in every one of these letters as we go through as we go through this entire two chapters. As we go through it, you're going to see that none of these things are addressed to a church. They're addressed to the angel of the church. And if you read the word the way that it was written in the Greek, it's actually saying to the messenger of the church, to the individuals in the church. Why? Because before a church can change, individuals have to change. And when individuals change, the church will change. Because we think about it and we think, okay, well, I'm going to listen to this message and Pastor G's talking and and so many times we can get caught up in this. We're listening to the message, but we're listening for somebody else. Especially if we've known God for a while, we're in master's commission, we're we're a pastor at the church, we get caught up in this. Yeah, you know what I was thinking? Michael Michael really needs to, man, it's good Pastor G's talking about that because Michael really needs to hear that. Can I share something with you? This is to the messengers. This is to people that are going to carry the message for God. It's for every one of us individuals, and we need to listen to it as individuals. We need to listen to it for ourselves, and we need to decide for ourselves if we're living the right way, and if we're not, then we need to decide that we're going to be part of the change that's going to happen in the church. Amen? So it's not addressed to a church as a whole. It's addressed to individuals. And he says this, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, and I just want to talk about this church in Ephesus really quick, because sometimes when we read the Bible, we get like a a picture in our head of what, of what like this city and this church looked like, right? You there? Are we all awake? Awesome. We get this picture and this idea of what churches look like. And oftentimes when I think of these churches in Revelation, I always see like these old brick houses, you know, with the, with like the big wood coming through them and the straw on top. And I see like 12 people kind of crammed in there and they're like singing. They're like, I don't know how, because they speak, um, they speak, Greek and things like that. I don't know how, but they're singing all these old, you know, all these old hymns and things like that. And I, and I imagine the church is this way. And yet, as I began to look at this city in Ephesus, I, I realized something that it's actually not that different from our city. Now, check this out. Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and that was the temple to, um, oh man, how can I forget her name? Diana. And Diana's name means perfect, and she was this god that these people worshipped. And, it, you know, there's descriptions and things. I'm, gonna get, I'm not going to go into them, but basically it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was a very, like, prominent city. It was a city that a lot of people went to and checked out because, why? It had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it had a theater that fit 50,000 people. Austin Stadium fits what, 59? 
It's like we think about this church and it's like this little brick building with the, and, and this is like this little city and there's like 12 of those things and some of them serve God and there's this one church and that's the church. No, this is a gigantic city. It's actually the capital of that region. This is a very prominent city. There's people traveling in and out all over the place right? This is the city that we read in the Bible where Paul did his handkerchief miracles. You guys remember the handkerchief miracles where Paul was going around and he had been in Ephesus for three years and he's walking around and he's, you know, he's sharing the gospel and people are bringing, because there's so much power in his life that people are bringing handkerchiefs to him and saying, if you touch this, I can take it back to the people that are sick and they'll be healed. Because they couldn't get the sick people to Paul, so they just got these handkerchiefs. And they would take these handkerchiefs back, and people would get healed by touching these handkerchiefs that Paul touched. Is that crazy, awesome, cool, or what? Like, could you imagine if, like, you had a person that was sick at school, and I was really busy at the church, but you were like, man, I, I really want them to get healed. You know what? If I just go grab Pastor G's Dodger hat, I know that God's going to do something. Like, that would be just nuts, right? It'd be crazy. And that's basically what was happening. You know, Paul's, you know, he's, he's, he's from the west side of the Jordan. <laughs> he, he's from the west side, and he's taking off his handkerchief and throwing it at people, and they're taking it back and healing everybody. I mean, that's crazy. There's incredible stuff that goes on in this city. Amen? There's some incredible stuff. This is also the place that had the seven sons of Sceva. Do you guys remember who the seven sons of Sceva were? They were these guys, seven of them. That's why they're called the seven sons. Uh, and they would go and they would walk through the town. And because this was kind of the thing that Paul was doing, they would go and they would try and cast out demons. And so they found this guy who was possessed by a demon. And they said, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come out of that man. And the demon looks at him. And I can only like imagine in my mind's eye what this like looks like. I can imagine the demon, like the Grinch, curl up a little smile. You know what I mean? Like, are you serious with me right now? He says, I know Jesus. And I've heard of Paul, but who are you guys? And then he, he, he breaks out this incredible kung fu move and drops all seven of them. And it says that they leave that place exposed and hurting. It says that they have to leave that place. Why? Because this one demon took out seven sons, seven of them, right? This is also the place that, that most of these churches, we're going to read through seven churches in the book of Revelation, this is the place where most of those seven churches, the people that established those other six churches, most people believe that they came out of Ephesus, that they were disciples, they, they were discipled and trained in Ephesus, and that they went out. So this is the city we're talking about. We're not talking about like this tiny little church in this itty bitty town that's just trying to make it, eat, eating moldy bread and just waiting for God to come back. That's not what we're, we're talking about a church that has an impact, a church that sees people healed, a, a church that sees demons cast out. This is a church that is doing incredible stuff in not a small, tiny little town with a couple of people but in a gigantic town with a 50,000-seat theater. i got to tell you something. I, I'll go to the 59,000-seat Autzen Stadium, and I'll watch the game. I don't know that I'm going there to watch the Nutcracker. You know what I mean? Like, this is a place where 50,000 people would come to this theater, and it's not like they did the Nutcracker there. They actually had, like, bear fights and human and bear fights, and I wonder who won that one. <laughs> and so they would have these, these games and things there, and th this is that kind of city. It's our kind of city. It's a big city. It's a church that's affecting and changing people. It's a church that's sending out people. Amen? It's not this little stick in the wood, you know, this little stick in the sand. We're barely making it. Amen? 
So Revelation 2, 1, the angel of the church of Ephesus, right, he who holds the seven stars in his right hands, amen? And we know that the seven stars are the messengers of God. And understand that when he's saying, I hold them in my right hand, he's saying, I hold them under my authority. And he's saying, I hold them also. Because I actually was reading a lot of articles on this where they only talked about how God had authority over the seven stars. And I want you to understand something. It means more than that. It's not just that God is a boss who take, who, who's the big boss that tells you what not to do. He says, I hold you in my authority, and I hold you in my protection. That I will take care of you. I will watch after you. You will never have to face anything in your life alone because I will be there for you. It's authority and protection. Amen? Amen. And we're under the protection when we're under the authority. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lamps, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands? And we we read in chapter one that the lampstands represented the church. Say these things, Amen. Can I can I say something to you? And we'll in every one of these messages we'll read through, and then we'll go back to this this first statement that he makes for every church. Because why? What's the whole point of uh, of this study? What's the whole point of this series? What what's what are we doing? We're uncovering Jesus, and and, and the first statement that he makes to these people. He's saying, this is what I want you to realize about me. And the big thing that he wants, to re- what, wants the church to realize about him is that he holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. And see, that doesn't mean much to us. But when, when this was written to them, when they received this letter, it meant a lot to them because they already knew their situation. They already knew what they were going through. So we're going to read through and then we'll go back and revisit this in a second. Amen. Say these things. The most, important of, the most important thing in all of these letters is the opening statement. Revelation 2.2, 2, I know your works. Why? And I just want to say this. Like, if God came to us right now, individually, corporately, whatever. for these guys, he did it corporately. He actually had this letter written, and he sent it to all of these different churches. So everybody knew their stuff, right? What if God came in right now and said, I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. And you're just like, could you just we could talk later before I leave? I don't know. God knows your works. <laughs> we miss that. God knows what you do. See, we would like, we would like God to, you know, we would like him to be this loving God who who just who looks over our sin and as long as every once in a while we bow and pray, and as long as before we go to sleep at night we say a nice little prayer, then we're really gonna be okay with God. But God is saying, I know your works. Other versions translate it this way, I know your deeds. I know the things you've done. The people sitting next to you may not know the things you've done. The person preaching may not know the things you've done. The pastors in the church may not know the things you've done, but I know your works. I know what you've done. I know who you are. Man, I, about three months ago, God really began to speak to me that he knows me. He knows everything about me, and it's amazing that with all my failures and all my shortcomings, he still uses me. But he knows us. He knows our works. And I'll bet this church is just like, when, they, when they're, they're getting this thing read to them, I'm sure that they're just going, <gasps> like you probably could hear a pin drop in that place. Because this is God, and he says, I know your works. And you know what the thing about it is? We know our works. So when God makes a statement like that, all of a sudden we step back and we go, um, are you going to tell everybody about him? Right? I talked last week. 
about how I used to, when I was a teenager and, and doing things in sin and just coming to church and playing the church game, I used to always hate it when prophets would come to town because I would always be scared that they would call me up and they would read my mail in front of everybody. And I, was, I hated that. And I would, I would seriously, I would like try and be in the back when they got into their like prophetic time where they started giving words to people and stuff like that. I didn't want to hear a word from God because I knew that God knew my works. And he knows our works. Amen. And lucky, thank you, thank you. I'll bet the Ephesus church, once he said the next thing, they're like, woo, <laughs> lucked out there. Because the next thing he says, he says this, I know your works. Actually, let's, before I go into the next thing he says, I want to I say something. American society does not like this word works. You know, you know, 50, 60 years ago, they knew how to work. But American society today, we try and find as many things as we can. And technology proves this. If you don't believe me, technology proves that we are trying as much as we can to do as little as we can. And we try and do as very little. We don't like this word. Somewhere along the line, this word work got a bad reputation. Even the American church doesn't like the word works. And I'm not talking about just the person that attends. I'm talking about pastors don't like the word. We start making excuses for works. If you're not saved by works, salvation is in faith alone. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. You're right. Salvation and works really don't have anything to do with each other except for the fact that if you're saved, you'll desire to do works. Amen? Works is not a bad thing. I need you to understand that tonight. Works is not a bad thing. Works is an incredible thing. It's not something that we can have that, that, that causes us to grow any closer to God or that causes us to be loved by God anymore. He cannot love us more than he already does. He can't give us salvation more than he already has. But works are something that should be coming out of a heart for God. Amen? And I can't really get into that because that's something that's supposed to be said later. And thank God, I just want to make this statement, thank God we're not part of the American church. We're part of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you labor, I'm sorry, okay, so I know your works. And now they're just like, because he's, he's starting the next statement and your labor, and your patience, and how you cannot bear those who are evil. And they're just going, oh, thank God he's not talking about the other works in front of all these other churches. He's talking about our good works. Thank you, Lord. He's not, thank you, God. You're so awesome. We love you, right? And you can't bear those who are evil. And you have tried those pretending to be apostles. And I just want to stop just for a second because I want to say this because I have always misunderstood what apostles were. And maybe the only reason why I'm sharing this is because I want you guys to understand what an apostle really is. An apostle is a delegate messenger, one sent forth with orders. See, because I always thought you had like deacons, and deacons were the people that yelled at the youth group for running in the foyer, and then you had pastors, and pastors were the guys who, who told everybody all the sin that they were doing, all the things they were doing wrong, and then the apostles, and the apostles were like the bosses over the pastors who were the bosses over the deacons who were the bosses over the youth group. And that's what I, I thought, that was like the chain of God's, that was like God's chain of command. Like an apostle is like, uh, you know, a governor or something. You know, Jesus is the president, but an apostle is like a governor. And they're like the boss. Can I tell you, the apostle is the same as everybody else that serves God. He's a messenger. He is called by God to carry a message. And so we've got apostles in the church, and I oversee 31 churches. I'm an apostle in this denomination. Well, Congratulations. Me and you have the exact same job. Me and you have the exact same call from God, and that is to carry a message to the world. Me and Nathan have the exact same call. Both of them look at me like, which one's he talking about? 
We have the exact same call. It's not like there's, here's the chain of God's command. Look, we all are called to do the exact same thing, and that is shine, to let people know who God is. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Amen. And he appointed some to be apostles. Uh, and you tried those who were, t- who were pretending to be apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. So that's these type of apostles that I'm, I'm an apostle. And they, they would test these guys. So check this out. This is a church who sent out people and established a bunch of other churches. So this is an outreach church. This is a church where Paul performed incredible miracles. And this is a church where, where, where people went through and they would think that because they knew Paul that they could cast out demons and they got beat up for it. But this is a church that's doing some incredible things. Literally, people are coming to them and they're saying, I am an apostle. And they're saying, you're a liar. That's this church. This is a church that is doing incredible, amazing, great things for God. They're reaching out. They're touching people's lives. God is using them. They are shining, shining, shining. And I'll bet they're excited at this point in the letter. But then here comes the next statement. Oh, sorry. Let's, let's read two more statements. And you have born, uh, you have born and have patience for my name's sakes. Uh, You have labored and have not fainted. You haven't grown tired. Ready? Check this out. Revelation 2, 4. But. But. Why the but, God? We were doing so good there, God, with the, like, you guys are doing great. Your works are awesome. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. Can I tell you that we oftentimes think of love as an emotion. Can I tell you, love's not an emotion. Love is a passion. Love is something that drives you. Love, love is something that pushes you to become better. Can I tell you, if I didn't love my wife, I would be the exact same person I was three years ago. But because I love my wife, I am changing for my wife. You think, well, if she loves you, she should accept you the way you are. You're right. I love her, but I love her so much that I don't want to be the same person I was. And she loves me, so she changes for me. And I love God. And I'll change for God. Man, love is a passion. Love causes you to do things different. Love causes you to look at people differently. Why? Because we could think somebody is so annoying and so just out there and we just can't stand them. And then they do a couple of nice things for us and we fall in love. And all of a sudden, we see things completely different. I was talking on the phone with somebody this week. And they said, you know what? I just don't like going to church anymore. And I'm like, you don't like going to church anymore. He's like, no, I don't. And I said, you know what the weird thing is, is that every time you stop coming to church for a while, you don't like coming to church anymore. It's weird because every time you come, you give me a hug. You say, oh man, that was great. I love, oh, that, that message was, I love you, man. I, I, I need to be coming back. I need to, I can't, I can't just stay away from church anymore. And then you get away from church for a little while and all of a sudden you don't like it anymore. Love causes you to look at things differently. Why would we come up and worship? Why would we dance? Why would we raise our hands? Why? Because we love God. Because we look at him differently than people that don't love him do. Why is it crazy to some of you that we do that? Because you don't love God and we do. And I don't mean to say that in like a condemnation type of way. I mean to say that in the fact that, man, realize what's happening. The reason you don't want to serve God the way that you're supposed to, the reason you don't want to do works for God is because you don't love God. You might love 
an idea of God. You might love a false Jesus. You might love the idea of going to heaven. But if you loved God, you would serve God and you would do things for God. I don't think that has anything to do with my message. Amen. First Samuel 16, 7 says this, for man looks on the outward appearance, but Jehovah looks at the heart. God looks differently than other people. See, because everybody who looked at this church, every because this letter went to seven different churches, right? Everybody who read this letter about this church probably thought all of those good things about that church. But God says, I go deeper than what everything you're doing. I go right to your heart. And I look at whether or not you have a passion and a fire for me. Amen. I, I just don't have time to get into it. So we're going to go to Revelation 2, 5. Amen. And we're just going to talk about these three things real quick. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Amen. So there's three steps that we need to return. The first step is, oh, that has a two in front of it. Ignore that. There's three steps we need to do to find our first love. The first step is remember. Don't you remember what it felt like at camp? Don't you remember what it felt like when you, when you were really serving God, when your heart was beating for God, and you were like, man, God, I, man, when I answered that altar call, man, God, I was serious. I wanted to do everything for you. Think about those moments in your life. Remember what it was like. Remember how free you felt from guilt, rejection, and pain. Remember what it felt like when you first loved God. And the first step to returning is remembering all throughout the Old Testament, we see God giving the Israelites commands saying, look, build an altar. Build an altar. Remember what I did for you. Remember what we've been through together. Amen. We look at the, there's all sorts of feasts in the Bible. And we look at those feasts as like all these traditions and stuff like that. Can I tell you, all of those feasts have one purpose so that we don't forget who God is. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember what it felt like. Amen. Number two is repent. Repent means to change one's mind and purpose. And there's two different kinds of, the, in the New Testament, there's two different Greek words for repent. One of them means to feel bad about something. And one of them means to change. And this one is saying, change your mind, change your direction, change the way that you're going. Amen. So remember what God has been doing and change what you've done. And then the third thing is do. So we need to remember, we need to repent, and we need to do the things. And it's funny because it says the first works. And I believe what it's talking about there when it says the first works is those same things that they were doing. The works I just mentioned, keep doing those. But don't do them out of a desire to be seen. Don't do them out of a desire to be known. But do them out of a desire to please me. Do them because you love me. Timothy uh, is believed to be the pastor of this church. And how many of you guys know who Timothy is in the Bible? Paul's like personal little protege, disciple guy. He said, this guy, Timothy's like a son to me. The amazing thing about Timothy's life is this, that in the Bible, Paul says, hey man, your mom was amazing. She really was on fire for God. Your grandma was amazing. She really was on fire for God. But his father, his father, the only thing that we know about his dad is that he was a Greek. So we have Timothy, and I'm not trying to mess with single parents or anything like that, but we have Timothy whose mom serves God, whose grandma served God, who's got a lineage of serving God, but his, his father is never mentioned as, as doing incredible things for God. I want to share just a thought with you, and maybe this is mostly for the staff and pastors. Hear this. This is a generation that needs fathers 
and mothers to be able to pour into them. Why? Because what happened with Timothy, and I believe this is, is, this is what this letter is all written about, is that Timothy had a father and mother who served God, and he had Paul who became his spiritual father. But in the entire time as he, as he was growing up, he didn't have that father to say you will have acceptance no matter what you do. My one job as a father is to let my daughter know I love her no matter what, and she will always be accepted. Now, do I discipline? Yeah, I discipline. But understand something. If, 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 if my fact and my ideas of discipline get in the way of the fact that my daughter doesn't feel like she's accepted, then I need to rethink my discipline. Because the one job I have is to let her know that she's accepted and she's taken care of. That's the one job that we're given. And can I tell you, leaders, that's the one job that this generation has grown up without is a father figure to say, no matter what happens, you'll be accepted. And so Timothy grew up without a father telling him, hey, no matter what happens, you'll be accepted. And so Timothy gets caught up in doing all these things to try and gain acceptance and to try and gain love. But love is there regardless. Because love is not something that you fall in and out of. Love is something, it's a passion that you have for something. And God loves you so much. We got to read through this quick. Amen. Therefore, remember where you have fallen from. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place. He's saying, listen. Your lamp has no fire. Your lamp has no passion. And he says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to remove myself from you, but I'm going to take you out of my presence. He doesn't say, I'm going to walk away and let you do your thing. He says, you're going to be removed. And this is a church, listen, that did incredible things. They tested apostles. They, they, they established other churches. They were outreaching. They were performing miracles. This is a church doing some incredible things. This is a church that these other seven churches are looking to. Because they're, they're, the, they're the leader. They're the ones that established all these other churches. They're, they're looking back to this church and thinking, that's the example. And God is saying, I will remove you from the rest of the churches because you have no fire. Because you have no love. He says, repent, or I will remove you from your place. See, that's, that's awesome if we repent. It really stinks for this church, who was the leader, who was the church with a great reputation, the church that everybody knew about. They were, they were awesome, doing incredible things for God. And then all of a sudden, if they don't repent, God's going to take them out. Because he needs people that don't just do works to do works. He needs people that don't just give in the offering because they feel bad. He needs people that don't come and set up the chairs because Pastor G asked them to. He needs people that say, I have a desire to please my God. And whatever it's going to take to please my God, I'm going to do that. See, we're, 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 we all around us, we're surrounded by the American church that says, as little as I can do and still go to heaven, that's fine. But God is desiring a people that will say, whatever it takes, if, if it makes my God happy, I'll do it. Oh, I need to give him the offering. Okay, 10%, that's it. If, if it makes God happy to give him an extra dollar, I'm giving that extra dollar. If it makes God happy that I, that I carry my Bible around at school, then I'll carry my Bible around at school. It won't get me to heaven any easier, but it'll make my God happy. And that's all I care about because he's the one I love. He's the one I care about. I'm not trying to say saved. I'm not even worried about salvation anymore because I know Jesus already took away my shame, my guilt. My, he took it all away from me. But 
Now it's all about love. And I love God, so I'll work for him. Do those things. You did it first. Revelation 2.6, but you have this, that you hate the Nickelodeons, and which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the middle of paradise. Repent, or you'll be taken out. But if you overcome, if you love, I'll put you right in the middle. I'll put you right in the center of my presence. See, some of us go through life and we say, man, I feel God at church, but I don't feel God at home. Because we don't have a heart is not beating for God. A heart is not desiring God. So we need to go back to verse 1. The most important statement in this letter, he who has an ear, let him hear. The Spirit says to the seven churches, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of seven golden lampstands, He says, I hold the messengers in my hand. The God that we're unveiling tonight is a God that desires to hold you. That means a lot to people that have faced rejection and and pain. That you haven't done anything that causes him not to desire to be with you. He says, I want to hold those seven stars. I want to be with those seven stars. See, man, there's nothing quite like sitting on the couch with my wife. But what's ever, even better than just sitting on the couch with my wife is sitting on a couch holding my wife. In that, she feels accepted. In that, she feels loved. God is desiring to do that. You can be playing church. You can raise your hand. You can give in the offering. You can do all these things. But when you love God, he wants to hold you. He wants to be with you. The Bible says that all our righteous acts are as filthy rags. But our heart for him causes him to want to hold us. And he says, I walk in the presence of seven golden lampstands. Even before God delivered the message, he believed he was not going to have to remove their lampstand. He didn't say six, although he threatened to take it away. But he says, I'm the God. This is the God that I want you to see, is the God that walks in the midst of not six, but seven. See, he believed that they were going to do the right thing. He wasn't sending this message here to make them feel bad or, 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 or fall on their knees and cry for hours and be guilty and feel awful for the rest of their week. He was saying, I believe in you. I'm holding you. I care about you. I want to walk in your presence. Us as a, as a church, as a body, we want God to be in the middle of every single service, but it won't happen because we play the guitar, right? It won't happen because somebody has a really nice prayer. It won't happen because, because of anything that we do. It won't happen because we jump. It'll happen because we love God, because we have a heart for God. And he says, when you do that, I'll walk. I'll hold you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. So what was God speaking to this church? I love you. I believe in you. Do you love me? 
not do you love me, you you fall in and out of love with me depending on how good the worship was or how good the message was. Or you fall in and out of love with me depending on how, 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 how much that scripture really spoke to your heart. No, no, no. Do you have a passion for me? Does your heart beat to please me? Because mine beats to please you. He's saying this is the Jesus that we uncovered for the church of Ephesus. Is the Jesus who loves us so much and believes in us, and trusts us, and says, if you will love me, you can remain. But if you just keep doing works, if you just keep making it look good, if you just keep putting on a church show, I'm going to remove you from my presence. These other churches will still have amazing things happening. They'll still perform miracles, but you'll be out on your own because you have no fire. Amen. Tonight, I have two questions for you guys. The first question is this. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I tell you his heart beats for you? He wants the best for you. He cares about you so much. His heart is beating to be with you. His heart aches because you're away from him. He loves you so much. Tonight, you say, you know what? I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And something you said, maybe it was something during the worship, but something happened tonight where I had a desire for something more and something real. If that's you tonight, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and tonight you want to. Raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's looking around. It's just between you and God. Man, I think this is more of the question that's going to speak to us tonight. We come to church. We know how to do church. We know how we're supposed to act when we worship. We know how we're supposed to act when we sit down and listen to the message. We know when to say amen. We know when to say hallelujah. We know when church is dismissed, most of all. Because when we're here, our heart's somewhere else. Because our heart is not beating for our God. We may jump. We may shout. We may do everything. for. We may give $10,000 in the offering. It doesn't matter unless the only reason that we're doing that is because we love him. And we want to please him. He believes in you. Seven golden lamps. The consequences that you'll be removed for his, from his presence but he believes that you won't have to. God is putting his faith in you. He said, I believe in you. I believe you can do this. I believe you can really live this passionate love out. I believe that you, this is something that you can do. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I know what it's like to play church. I know the rules. I know the games. But I want something more tonight. I want a love and a passion for my God. If that's you tonight, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. We're not playing church. We're saying, God, I want something more. And just raise your hand. I want to include you in this prayer. Anyone else? Anyone else who says, my heart does not beat for Jesus, but I want it to. I see that hand. Amen. Let's have everybody stand. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, for the opportunity to hear from you, not from me or not from anybody else who's had the microphone tonight, but God, that you were here and you spoke. 
that, God, you still remain in the midst. God, we don't want our lampstand removed. We don't want to be taken out of your presence. God, we want to be right in the middle. Help us to do that, God. Help us to have a passion for you. Help us to love you so much that it drives us to do things for you, to do works for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage those of you that raised your hand that this is not something that, a decision that can be made by some pastor or leader, but this is a decision that you have to make. And so I encourage you, we're going to dismiss, but I encourage you to at least spend some time with God telling him how you feel and allowing him to tell you how he feels. Amen. You guys are dismissed.